0: Taxes. And the question really is, it's something that we just debated in a recent election. It's something that we debate constantly in our politics. How much should our government be collecting in taxes? It's a very, very big issue. And this has been an issue throughout all of history, the question of taxes. How much should we be collecting in taxes? Now, it should be clear that almost every government requires some system in order to fund itself It requires some system of making money, and usually it's by making the people in the government giving it money. Unless you live in a place like Saudi Arabia with endless resources, you need to have some sort of tax system in place. So the debate, the question is not, are taxes necessary? The question is, what is the best and fairest way for a government to raise money, and how much money should the government raise that's the question. So, there's a totally separate discussion, which is not directly related, though it is correlated, is how much the, how the government should spend its money, what the government should spend on. We're not going to deal with that today. No, we're going to deal with how much money should a government raise in taxes. Now, Jewish law has a lot to say about tax rules. Um, while little has remained, we once had an independent Jewish state in the days of Scripture, in the days of the uh, the days of Tzaraq during Chashmonai rule, um, during the Second Temple. However, we don't have much left from the tax rules from those days, but we did have, for most of our history, really all the way up to the 20th century, we had autonomous Jewish communities in almost every place that we lived. And those communities provided services, they provided infrastructure, and the need to collect taxes in order to function. And so... Over the years, we developed detailed rules as to how taxes should be collected and varied, as we'll see from community to community, that we do have very a lot written on the rules, communal rules, and how taxes should be collected. Now, as Jews, it's important to know, firstly, for our own Jewish history, to know the history, Jewish history on taxes and what our Jewish perspective on taxes has always been, Now, we should be clear that we do not expect our government, local state, local county, state, or federal government, to follow Jewish rules on taxes at all. Um, After all, they're not a Jewish government. However, since we do have a say in how our government runs through our vote, uh, and we do have a say through our influence, talking to other people, uh, it's important that as Jews, our Jewish values um, and our Jewish rules on taxes influence the way we approach ta- the tax question. So I also believe, in addition to that, that we as Jews should know what Judaism says about taxes. I think in general, having an intelligent discussion about taxes is also a healthy thing, given that we live in a society today where public discourse on the topic often lacks necessary nuance. Uh, for ex- A classic example of people that always want to lower taxes, of course... <coughs> One can never believe that one should always lower taxes because then you get down to zero, then there's no way to fund the government, right? There must be at least a healthy amount and there must be a certain point where everybody would agree taxes are below a healthy amount. Now, it could be there's a lot of waste. It could be we're well above that amount right now. But everybody would agree that taxes are necessary at some point. And it's really a question of nuance and so it's important to bring some nuance to this discussion. So to begin with, does a government even have the right to tax people? What right does government have to tax people? Who appointed them? Who gives them the right to tax people? Yes? Well, in our country we vote in Yes, we voted representatives who voted for taxes. But what right do they have to provide... They passed the law and allowed the Constitution. Constitution? Who gave them the right to pass those laws? Can I create, and some people have attempted to do this, create their own countries and their own property? So in Judaism, firstly, we are big... In Judaism, firstly, we're big believers in the concept of government. Um, I think there was once a president that said the government is the problem. Now, sometimes the government can cause lots of problems. And throughout history, there have been many governments that have been um, tyrannic and have caused huge problems. And that is still true today. Um, thankfully, we don't live in a government that causes most of our pro- that causes. Problems like some other governments do. We live in a fairly free society, although the government may be responsible for some problems. But ultimately, we believe that without government, it is much worse. Judaism believes that anarchy is the worst kind of society. Um, You do not want to live with anarchy. You want a form of government. A government in Jewish laws, the Jewish values, is essentially a partnership. This is important. A government is essentially a partnership of people. It's a partnership of people, just as you can partner for anything that you like, you can create a partnership of a community, or a state, or a nation. It's essentially a partnership, only it's unique in that, unlike a partnership where any partner can essentially walk out of the partnership at any time, a government is a geographical partnership. A partnership that takes control of a certain geographical area. And therefore, anyone within that area is automatically part of that partnership, whether you like it or not. So it's a little bit more than a partnership. But as we'll see, the rules of how it functions very much run along the understanding that it is simply a partnership. And so it is, it's a, ge- now governments, by the way, could also do not have to be based on geographic location. They could be, bo- be based on common trade. You can have trade groups or they could be based on other common connections. Uh, Unions today we have, uh, workers' groups, they could be based on other common connections. But the idea is there's a certain commonality that we band together, create a form of government, a form of partnership uh, that requires everybody that has that, in that geographic area, that has that commonality to be part of it, as long as most people who do want to be part of it. So... This, um, this form of government, this partnership, essentially gives the majority the right to force anyone to um, accept majority decisions, with limits, of course, so long as they're not going against basic values or basic rights. But it also gives the government the right to tax people or to raise money from the partners, from the members um, within the government, as necessary. And so in the book of Samuel... Um, the first time where it discusses really government in scripture, it describes the role of a king. And Samuel, this is before they appoint the first king, King Saul, who's effectively going to be a, a, a government. And um, he describes in very there, there in great detail the, co- the concept that we know today as eminent domain, which essentially means that the government has an underlying ownership of all property in its, um, uh, under its jurisdiction. And while we recognize that there's private property, the government has the right to fairly confiscate or control any property that it wishes, so long as it does so in a fair way, without going after, in, uh, after specific people or specific groups, um, so long as it's done In a justifiable way, for a reasonable reason, in a reasonable way, um, the government has ultimate power to control anyone's property within its jurisdiction. Now, clearly, how to define that, what's fair and what's reasonable, is subject to debate. And throughout history, we have always debated that. And in fact, very often, when our governments, we were, when the people felt the government to be unfair, we overthrew the government or we created new governments because we didn't believe that the policies taken by the current government were fair. Um, Today, we have democratic ways of doing that. Throughout history, there were many societies that we did that did not, including our own um, British um, rulers. Uh, in this country a couple hundred years ago, who we overthrew because we didn't feel they were fair. Indeed, um, the very concept of overthrowing a government because it is unfair, and particularly because it is um, charging too much in taxes, what today is often called tax revolt, um, is actually found in scripture. The the, uh, book of Kings tells us, sorry, the book of Samuel tells us, book of Kings, tells us that after the death of king solomon king solomon built extensively and he had very very high taxes after the death of king solomon the people gathered to crown his son rechava as king when they gathered together they laid out a precondition the leaders of the people said we will crown you as king on condition you lower our taxes Rechavam said, "Let me see. I will get back to you." He went to his father's elderly advisors and he asked them, "What do you think I should do? Should I? people are asking me to lower taxes. Should I listen to them?" And the advisors said, "Yes. The people ultimately are the ones that you need to need to accept you, um, and so you need to make them happy. Yes, you should lower their taxes as they are requesting." He went to his um, own personal friends who were young friends, and he asked them, do you think I should listen to the people? And they said, you're already allowing them to dictate to you what to do. You've got to show them who's boss. And so Rehobo ignores the advice of his father's advisors and instead listened to his friends. He came back to the leaders and he said, you think my ta- father's taxes were bad? Wait till you see my taxes. And so 10, not not a good political move. And so 10 of the 12 tribes decided to reject him. And they chose their own king. And for the next 200 years, the land of Israel was split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. After that, because of this split, because of this tax revolt. So while every government needs taxes, how to actually get those taxes is difficult and complicated. So we want taxes to be both fair and we want taxes to be efficient. Sometimes though it could be a trade-off. Sometimes as we'll see what's fair is not efficient and what's efficient is not fair. Now also defining fair and defining efficient but defining fair could be a challenge because what one person considers fair another person does not consider fair it can be very difficult to define what fair is. There also can be debates over efficiency, um, which taxes are good for the economy, which taxes are bad for the economy. There can be debates over that as well. So in general, um, tax policy can be structured in a lot of different ways, but there's eight general forms or possible ways to tax the populace. Firstly, um, there is a head tax or sometimes called a poll tax. Essentially, every person pays the exact same amount. That's fair. Everyone pays the same thing, whatever the tax is. Split it equally, everyone pays the same exact same amount. Head tax or poll tax. A second type of, a type of tax is called a wealth tax, or a property tax. Essentially, you pay taxes based on the value of your wealth, or the value of the property you own. What's unique about these two forms of taxes, the head tax and the wealth tax, is they're both taxing static money. They're taxing money that happens to be in your possession. That's not moving. The third kind of tax is an income tax or a payroll tax, which is a percentage of your gross or your net income and you structure a certain percentage of income, gets taxed by the government. The fourth form of tax is a capital tax, where you tax not working income, but investment gains, gains from your investments. Um, you've invested in different things, you're a partner in different things, and um, the gains from your investments. A fifth form of tax is sales tax, or in some countries they have VAT tax, Um, which is essentially you're taxing certain types of transactions or certain types of sales. A sixth form of tax is inheritance or gift tax, where large amounts of unearned wealth changes hands, whether in inheritance or as a gift, and the government can tax that. These four forms of taxes, income tax, capital tax, sales tax, and inheritance tax, are are all taxing transfers or movement of money the seventh form of tax is import or export tax or duties um, essentially as things come in or out of a jurisdiction you tax them an eighth form of tax are fees or fines where you either charge for specific services for use of infrastructure payment for running afoul of rules but you pay certain actions trigger um, the tax so these are just some very general forms of taxes. So if you're trying to create a tax policy, you have a lot of different options. And each one, there are a lot of different ways you could tax people. So in the United States, in this country, um, on the different levels of government, um, both local, county, state, and federal, we have four levels of government here, Now, the different levels of government, we use every single one of these forms of taxes, with the exception of the poll tax, which was once commonly used in this country, but we outlawed it in the 24th Amendment in 1964. And we didn't outlaw it necessarily because it's a bad idea or it's unfair to tax everyone the same amount. We outlawed it because it was being used in the South to disenfranchise blacks. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad idea. And today, in, we don't use it in government, that it's been the Supreme Court ruled that it's, it's uh, illegal, it's unconstitutional to use it in any form of government. However, it is still used in what we could call semi-governments, unions, trade groups, and other forms of government that are not, not non-geographical governments, governments. Um, we do still use that kind of system where everyone pays a set amount, set duties, um, set fees, and um, everyone pays the the same amount um, to be part of that group. Now, within all these different forms of taxes, taxes can also be structured in different ways. Today, we commonly split it into three. We have a system of progressive taxing where the more... You have the higher rate you pay. So rates vary, and the more someone has, or the more that specific tax is relevant to you, the higher your rates go. A flat tax essentially means that everyone pays the exact same rate. And then there's also regressive tax, where the rate goes down, the more it's relevant to you, or stops after a certain amount. In the United States, most taxes are progressive, but we do have some tax, some flat tax, and some regressive tax as well. Our payroll taxes in this country are regressive. So some taxes here um, in this country are paid by everyone. Payroll taxes are paid by everyone. Sales taxes are paid by everyone. And some are paid only by some people. Property, people that own property, um, income taxes, if you have a certain level of income, inheritance tax if you happen to get inheritance. So the question is, there's a lot of different options when it comes to taxes. What is the ideal form of taxes? What did our Jewish tradition say? What did Jewish communities practice when it came to taxes? So firstly, it should be clear that Jewish law does not require or outlaw any specific form of taxation. In fact... Um, in a famous, le- a famous letter by Rabbi Shlomo Ben Aderet one of the leading scholars of the 13th century not the leading scholar who was based in Barcelona, Spain he writes um, to communities that there is no absolute rules when it comes to taxation and so long as it's reasonable and fair or the people think it's reasonable and fair um, the you have the right the, every community has the right to create taxation as it wishes. Uh, we recognize that the needs of society change. The structure of society changes. There is no single rule for all. And as in a partnership. Where the partners essentially can agree on what they want. In the same way. When it comes to government. Representatives of their constituents. Can essentially agree on Anything they want for taxation. They could tax in any way they want. However, that said, we do have certain guidelines. In other words, there are certain standards, certain norms that were commonly employed and we encourage to employ. Though again, they're not etched in stone and Jewish communities had the right to vary from those norms as they felt necessary. One key component of the traditional Jewish tax system. Did you want to ask something? No. One key component of the traditional Jewish tax system is that we always historically split taxes into different pots. One of the old debates in the United States, at least going back for the last um, forty years or so has been whether programs that are funded independently, such as Social Security, Medicare, should be included in the general fund, or should be included in um, our general expenditures, or should be um, kept totally separate. I think one president a couple years ago um, promised that he would put a lockbox. Uh, he would put Social Security in a lockbox. <laughs> Whatever that means. I think it was So so in Jewish traditions, we always kept funding for different things very separate. Things were separate. You had to collect money separately for each item. Particularly, there was one very important separation. We separated between government functioning or infrastructure and money for the poor. What today we call social programs. In fact, in Judaism, we don't see collecting money for the poor, uh, for poverty, for social programs, as a tax at all. We don't use the term tax for it. We rather use the term tzedakah. It's charity. We believe, the Torah tells us, that everyone has an obligation to take care of the poor. We have to give the poor everything that they need. Now we have an obligation to take care of the poor. Now we recognize that it is impossible for a single individual to take care of everyone. There is no single individual that has the resources to take care of every poor person. Most individuals definitely don't have those resources. So rather, the Torah expects us to organize as a community to collect and distribute the money. But the money collected for the poor is tzedakah. It's not tax. It's tzedakah. It's part of our collective responsibility as a community uh, to take care of the poor. We don't have the right. Well, we can vote and choose what we want well, we can vote and choose what we want in terms of infrastructure, what we want in terms of there are certain basics that a community requires. Um, but when it comes to taking care of the poor, we, all, we need to take care and ensure that the poor has their basic needs met. Um, exactly how to define those basic needs can get a little complicated. And exactly how to best use it can be up to debate. But we need to pay for the needs of the poor. But this money that's going to the poor must be kept totally separate. It's tzedakah money. It cannot be mixed together with general community funds. It cannot be mixed with other, be used for other communal funds. So if you collect money for the poor um, through a tax system, um, a tzedakah system where you collect money for the poor, you're not allowed to take that money and then put it into education or put into building a synagogue, or putting into building roads. You cannot take that money and put it into something else. It has to go to the poor. That's what it's been designated for. It must be kept separate. If you have more than you need, give it back. you got to give it back, hold it for future poor, for the future, but you cannot give it, put it into other things. So, in addition... In addition to the collection for the poor, traditionally in Jewish communities, we collected things for things separately. We collected for defense separately, collected for infrastructure, for medical facilities, for education, each important communal um, each important communal things, but each thing was collected for separately, and the money was generally kept separate. So how should taxes be collected? So it really depends. When it comes to charity, the basic rule is the wealthier you are, the more money you have disposable, or the more you have available to give, the more you got to give. So when the community would assess um, how much everyone should give, the poor were not really expected to give money to the poor. They were taking money. It was those that had extra Those that had more than than they need were able to take as much as we feel necessary as a community and force them to give in order to take care of the poor, in order to take care of the poor's basic needs. So over here we have we're able to without using um, so over here we have a very progressive system where the very wealthy or the wealthier are responsible to take care of the poor. The wealthier one is the greater one's responsibility to take care of the poor. This is really a progressive system. Um, Historically, they did not tax income, as we do today. That's because once upon a time, before we had payroll companies, it was very difficult to tax income. Um, Today, um, efficiency in... um, a efficiency in, um, in our financial system has made it a lot easier um, to tax payrolls, to tax, um, to tax people's income, and it also is overall, e- it's easier to track how much people are making, um, and it's a lot um, easier to collect, it's so a lot more efficient to collect from moving money, in other words but transfer of money, money that people have earned, than to collect from static money. Because from static money, someone says, "I don't have the money. How are you going to get it?" Because sometimes it can be difficult to get from moving money. You just earned that money. Give me a part of it. So it's a lot easier to get. So now it's become a lot more, a lot easier to collect from income taxes um, or other forms of or sales or other forms of moving money. Uh, historically, Jewish communities um, sometimes they did collect from sales, but they generally would collect from um, based on wealth. Um, at least for charity, they would collect based on wealth. What about government expenditures? Security, um, infrastructure, things that impact everyone. So what do, um, uh, how do we pay for that? So traditionally, most Jewish communities actually had two forms of taxes. We had sometimes more. We had a poll tax and a wealth tax. A poll tax meant that every person had to give the same amount. Why the two? We recognize that essentially government is a partnership. In a partnership, everybody has to pay for their part of the partnership. If you're going to use government infrastructure, or you're going to rely on government-provided security, or government-provided health care, if you're going to rely on the communal infrastructure, then... You need to pay into it. You're a partner. How, how much use do people have of government... How much use do people have of government infrastructure? So there's actually two different ways we could measure that. Firstly, every individual has personal use in that in security, the government is protecting their lives. In health, in other things the government is protecting and enhancing their person, their individual. In that, we're all equal. If we're all equal in a partnership, we all pay the same amount. But then the government is also providing, protecting our finances. Security protects our finances. Regulation, infrastructure allows our finances to function. And so the government also uh, protects our finances as well. For that, people who have greater wealth are being protected in a greater way by the government. People that have less wealth have less to be protected. So over there, people pay in based on how wealthy they are. So traditionally, for that reason, we had part Poltex, where everyone paid a Poltex, a set amount uh, per person, as well as as well as a wealth tax where people paid based on how much money they owned or how much property they owned, they paid based on their wealth. And that's how most communities, some communities also had sales tax, um, particularly they would um, tax um, meat, um, which generally wealthy people would buy more of, and so it was considered a way to kind of a more progressive tax. Uh, But but we, we generally had these two forms of taxes throughout our Jewish community, a poll tax and a wealth tax. Why do we need the poll tax? So, in addition to simply fairness, everybody's being protected, their person, by the government. And so it's only fair that everyone pay the same amount. But we also always believed, and this was a Jewish rule, um, historically, Jewish communities were always, their representatives were always elected. And we always had elected representatives in all our Jewish communities throughout history. Now, we believe that you could only would only be fair to have a say in how your money is spent if you put money in the pot. If you don't put money in the pot, it's unfair to give you a say as to how your money is spent. And for that reason, for that reason, because we didn't want anyone to be disenfranchised, everybody had to put something in the pot. And for that reason, we had a poll tax. Now, this Value of taxation with representation, in other words, um, a person should not be allowed to tax, Uh, a person should not be allowed, should not be allowed to state your tax unless they're representing you, um, was part of what led us to our revolution, this country, to its revolution. Um, because the british were taxing us and we had no say in our representation Um, and that's why our founding fathers originally created when they originally created our constitution they did it in a way where all expenditure bills and taxation bills must originate from the house of representatives because the Senate originally um, represented the states. The Senate wasn't voted by the people. Only in the 20th century that changed. Late 19th, early 20th century that changed. Originally the Senate was voted by the states uh, re- and represented the states. It didn't represent individual people. It was the House of Representatives that represented individual people. They were the ones that had a say in our, in our taxes and our expenditures. Um, we later got rid of the poll tax uh, in order not to disenfranchise uh, because blacks were being disenfranchised in the South. However, um, the general idea Judaism always had and it probably came from a Jewish concept that only people who pay into the pot should have a say of what we do with the pot. Yes? You said that we had elected leaders. Yes. that they are all appointed at one point where God says to Moses, you appoint the leaders for each of the tribes and each of the, et cetera, et cetera, I don't remember him talking about voting. That's a good question. In scripture, we had a king. The king was not voted in. The king was hereditary. We're from the house of, uh, we're from the house of David. So we had kings throughout the first temple period. Um, that was not elective at all. It was not democratic at all. In Babylon, uh, for about a thousand years, Mesopotamia, we had an independent Jewish state or an uh, autonomous Jewish state under Persian rule uh, that was read by a Geluta, also from the royal house of David. They were not elected. However, outside of those um, rules, rule that was led by the house of David, there were other times when individuals seized power on their own by force. Um, the Hashmonim, Has- the Hasmoneans, um, who, famous from the Hanukkah story who um, beat back the Greeks and declared independent, independence and seized power themselves. and um, We didn't look at them positively in the end for having done that. Um, in later communities, though, throughout much of our history, we did have organized communities. Those organized communities were generally elected. The leadership of those communities were generally elected. Uh, sometimes elections weren't always as fair as they should have been, but we generally had elections in all communities. So, um, so, in, so, in short, we do see Judaism again does not have an absolute rule for taxes. Taxes can rule, could go any way. What we do have is historically. Um, that we split up charity with government spending. Within government spending, we split up specific collection and we collect for specific things and uh, each thing separately. And as a rule, taxes are collected both as a poll tax and as a wealth tax. Again, all of this in earlier times when modern forms of taxation, income tax and sales tax, were less practical. Today, a wealth tax has become more difficult to collect while income tax and... um, while income tax and sales tax have become easier taxes to collect. Now, how high should taxes be? So Judaism never gave us an amount for how high taxes should be. It really varied from community to community. Joseph's 20% tax was considered very high in his days. Um, But the amount of our taxes has a lot to do with the services provided. And so um, this has really varied from country to country. In the past century, Western countries have... Greatly expanded their governments, but also provide much more to the people. And we accept the much, much higher taxes that, that we've had more than 100 years ago, um, recognizing that we get much, much more in return. Um, the United States, for example, um, collects about, between all levels of government, collects over 40% of all economic, economic productivity um, is collected in taxes Every year, um, a country like China, which is not as pleasant of a place to live, collects only 25%. Um, Their government is much smaller than our government, but a lot less efficient and a lot crueler. Um, Most Western governments have very high taxation, and the governments take up a very large part of the economy. Um, So it really varies. Often if we get a lot in return, that's great. If you don't get much in return... If you have very high taxes without getting anything in return... ...then nobody appreciates it... ...so it really depends a lot on what you get in return... ...the key is to use it efficiently and wisely... ...and Reb Moshe Israelist in the Code of Jewish Law... ...when speaking about the laws of taxes... uh, ...makes this point... ...that there is no absolute right amount for taxes... ...the key is that... ...the key is that if the leadership are using the money efficiently people are happy being taxed and happy to pay into the pot if the leadership is not as provided taxes are reasonable and fair people that are not if the community is not using the money efficiently and wisely people don't want to pay into the taxes um, and then you, you cannot then there is no excuse for the higher taxes so it's really about how it's being used and how it's being spent so um, so regardless, of we, we, what, what we can definitely gain from Jewish law, and we can add to our own perspective on taxes, um, though, as we said, the poll tax and the wealth tax are no longer as popular as they once were, and maybe not as efficient as they once were. Um, but one thing that we, I think we definitely can gain is the importance of separating taxes, taxing for very specific things, and then once we do, which we do sometimes on lower-level government in this country, um, and once we do to keep things... Um, exactly, spent, uh, exactly on what we're supposed to be spending and not you move money from one pot to another because that gains in efficiency and that's where money really gets lost and misused. So we believe in Judaism that in addition to paying Uncle Sam, in addition to paying our government taxes... Um, no, sorry, I should also mention... I, 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 uh, before, before, before this, just one other point... Um, that's important. In Judaism, we believe dina d'machuta dina. The law of the land is a law. Whatever, whatever taxes our government does create, provided they are fair. So there were times that there were Jewish taxes. Um, taxes specifically against the Jewish community. Or there were times that we paid other unfair taxes. Um, in other words... Taxes directed at specific individuals or um, performance of specific commandments or the like um, that unfairly targeted Jews. So so long as they're not unfairly targeting Jews, um, we believe that dina de dina, the law of the government is the law and we Jews do have to pay our taxes honestly and correctly and it is wrong, um, it is ethically wrong to um, cheat on our taxes, God forbid, or to... Um, To misquote anything, it is wrong to um, make uh, to do anything incorrect in our taxes. We should pay all of our taxes in full. Um, We believe, though, that in addition to paying taxes, um, the Torah tells us that we must give ten percent of all our earnings to tzedakah. We find Avraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all gave ten percent of their earnings to charity. and so Judaism requires us to give 10% of everything that we own net everything that we earn net every year should be given to charity um, when we say charity it can either go to the needy to those in need or it can go towards the performance, communal performance of mitzvahs such as towards building a shul towards help the Jewish community towards Jewish education these are all um, the, uh, so our tithes can go towards that um, and we believe that someone who tithes will be paid back more. So um, the Torah tells us, aser ta aser, tithe, you shall tithe, doubling the words. And the Midrash tells us, aser Bishfil, shetit asher, tithe and you will become rich. So if you tithe, God will make you wealthy. If you do not tithe, then the opposite will happen. And so we're instructed to tithe and uh, furthermore, we're told in Isaiah that you're, allowed, you're not supposed to test God. You're not supposed to tell God, I will do this mitzvah, but in exchange, I expect you to do this. The only thing that we are allowed to test God with is charity. You can tell God, I will tithe, and in exchange, I expect you to pay me back, make me wealthier. And um, that God says, test me. Try it, it will work. So we do believe that... Um, We should give 10% of all our earnings to charity, um, our net earnings, after our taxes. um, And we will be paid back more as a result. Um, Now, where should we spend our charity money without getting into great detail? It's running out of time. Where should we spend our money, charity money? Before spending it elsewhere, as a rule, we must always first spend our charity money locally. So uh, locally, locally. First, spend on our family. Once we've taken care of our family, we have to take care of our... Well, if you have family in need, they come first. But we have to take care of our own local community. Um, Sometimes people want to give money to faraway institutions. It is a mitzvah to give money to Israel, um, and to give at least something to Israel in addition to giving your money locally. Uh, But other than giving something to Israel, we should generally focus our taxes locally. Our first responsibility is towards our own community. So it's very important that we um, give charity towards our community. Uh, But ultimately, we believe that not only does the government have eminent domain, in other words, they have an underlying control of all of our property, so we believe God ultimately has eminent domain. Everything that we have ultimately belongs to God. We have many verses in scripture that say that. God says, all gold and silver belongs to me. Um, everything that we own essentially is only belongs to God and is given to us on loan. Instead, we use it in the right way. In fact, we have a Jewish custom whenever we write our name on something. We always begin with the letters Lamed, Hey, Vav. Which stands for the words, La Hashem Haaretz Omaloa, that the earth and everything in it belongs to God. So everything belongs to God, and so we have to recognize God is just giving us our what, what He's giving us on load. Not for us to keep, not for us to store, to put in bank accounts until we die, but He's giving it to us in order that we use it wisely. Part of using it wisely is taking at least 10% and giving it to charity. You can give even more than 10% if you're able to. The more we give, we believe, the more we get. So.